All right, guys, before we get started on today's show, let me tell you about the Colorado Hawks. One of the new sponsors here at the DMVR Nuggets podcast, really excited about them. They are a nonprofit organization helping athletes from all over Colorado achieve their dreams of playing sports at the next level and earning college scholarships. The Hawks produce high-level athletes in boys and girls basketball and soccer. Most importantly, this is an affordable program that has never turned an athlete away due to costs. The Colorado Hawks program prides itself on keeping kids off the streets and helping underprivileged youth earn opportunities they might not get otherwise. This year, the Hawks will actually celebrate its 25th anniversary. We've teamed up with them to raise awareness for this great organization as they are a nonprofit. Our number one goal is to help fundraise for the organization to help continue to provide opportunities for young athletes in Colorado. They've got an awesome shirt sale with 100% of the pro- of the proceeds going right back into the program. So what you have to do is head to JokicForMVP.com to get a great high-quality shirt that says you guessed it, Jokic for MVP. Uh, these shirts are really cool, guys, no lie. Um, you can also help a great organization at the same time. Let's come together to support a program that's helped provide so many opportunities for Colorado's youth. So head to Jokic for MVP.com to buy a shirt with all proceeds going to the Colorado Hawks organization. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up today. Download that app right on your phone. This is going to be a, a, a little bit of a mix show, half notebook, half going over the latest news because there's actually a lot of it. And to do both of those things, to achieve both of those goals, I brought on the Peloton Prince, Harrison Lynn. What's going on, brother? Nothing, man. Happy to be here. Coming off a solid, a solid Nuggets win last night. Excited to talk about it. I really do think it was a good win, especially going back and watching it a second time and getting into the details. There was a lot of positive things to talk about. So um, we've never tried this before doing the notebook episode with two people. So we'll kind of see how it goes, especially since they're my notes. Did you happen to rewatch the game, Harrison? Did you just catch it live? I just caught it live. And I caught it live in person. Um, right. So. I don't even know if that counts as catching it live. <laughs> what do you feel like is actually more useful for you to like absorb the game being in this? Cause when you're at the, st- the stadium, you do get other things, you know, you do yeah. pick up other things, but maybe it's less about the game. No, if I'm trying to watch a game just from the standpoint of like taking detailed notes and really just digging my teeth into it, you've got to watch it on TV, but watching it live. Yeah. You get like so many other different details and little things that that you don't pick up on the broadcast so right it it has its pros and cons well my first my first note that i have here is the crowd noise you don't hear that at the stadium is that put in in like the the broadcast or do they have the fake crowd noise at the stadium too it's at the arena so it's at the arena you do hear it at the arena because it was really loud on the tnt broadcast like mm. I, when it's the altitude broadcast, I don't notice it as much. But on the TNT one, I was like, man, they have that cr- fake crowd noise turned up so much, so much so that it felt fake. It didn't, you know, if you don't notice it, it just it becomes white noise where you're like, oh yeah, that's a crowd. But when it's really loud and in your face, you're like, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a machine that's making those noises. How does I, it work? Do you know? Is it did... a person that has a dial? I've got to imagine there's 
the same game ops crew upstairs that 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 is in charge of all of it and just like they would push the buttons normally they're they're doing mm. it for the fake crowd noise right, um, right but i wonder if it was turned up for a national televised oh. game i wonder if they turned up the crowd noise yeah could be man it was distracting though i did not like it turn it back down <laughs> um my first note here teams often go to Jokic in the post early or I'm sorry, the Nuggets often go to the Jokic in the post, like on the first play of the game. In fact, almost, I would say in most games they go to him. And I think the reason for that is just to see, this is the, it's the easiest way to see how a team's going to defend you. I think like the two things that you're most interested in as a coach to kind of figure out what the game plan is, is one, especially if you have Jokic, one, are they going to double you in the post? Where's the double going to come from? Are they going to switch up those coverages? And then two is how are they going to guard the pick and roll? And so the Nuggets, the first play of the game, they go to Jokic, and Jokic does like a six dribble back down, and I'm sure it's just part of that. It's just seeing like, what are they going to do? What's your what's your game plan? What's on the docket today? Yeah, and this is just something that again I picked up on live being there. Like Jokic has this um, like this unspoken brotherhood with a lot of European players. I don't think he has that with Enos Kanter. <laughs> Why do you think it is? I don't know. Um, Me neither. I don't know. I mean, they had the playoff series against each other a couple years ago. They, they play a lot. Like Portland and Denver just play a lot. So maybe it's just some of that. But um, there were so many posts up last night. Jokic went at Cantor. He like – he battered him. It, it was – you know that play in Madden, like fullback dive? No. <laughs> who, are, who are you talking to, Harrison? Come on, man. It's like the most basic play in Madden, like the most basic run play. It's pretty much just a run up the middle. Yeah. And like everybody just blocks straight ahead and you just go straight ahead. And it was almost like the Nuggets were calling the HB dive or the fullback dive every time for Jokic. <laughs> it was like that. And it's funny because that first play, you go to him in the post, and he actually missed it. Um, you know, he's been a little off now two games in a row. It's funny to say that because he had 41, but he missed, I would say, so what did he miss? 15 shots last night? And I would say probably eight of them, seven or eight of them are shots that he almost always makes. Mm -hmm. So even though he still had a good percentage and obviously put up that many points, I feel like this could have been even more of a massacre, which will be interesting if they match up again, you know, down the road, if, if Canner is still the starting and go-to big man. But, you know, Jokic, it, it's like once he did that first play and was like, oh, they're just going to let Cantor guard me. Um, yeah. Okay, like, cool. All right, game on. I'm going to shoot 32 times tonight. <laughs> We're going to win this one. Um, so I thought it was pretty cool. I wonder um, if Jokic, like what he thinks of teams guarding him one on one. Like, do you think when they chose not to double him and he was like, oh, so Enos Canner is going to guard me one on one the whole game? Do you think he takes it as a slight? Is like, wait, these guys really think they can guard me with Enos Canter one on one? Because I, I do. His demeanor throughout the game and just yeah. like pissed off he was getting kind of makes me think that that was his his thinking there i i do a hundred percent i i think that not necessarily a slight as in like i'm insulted but more of a just like oh man i'm gonna make you guys like regret this you know kind yeah. of thing like okay you're gonna do that i'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stunt on him and then i think also just yeah there's got to be some something between those two um Jokic is also one other thing he's doing with his like you know more slim down frame He's faking the dribble handoff more than ever before. He used to really not do this too often. In fact, his first three or four years in the league, I almost remember every time he faked the DHO and then would go for like the big would jump out, right, to, to hedge or to show on the handoff. 
and then he he would turn the quarter. He had one very high profile. I think it was Quincy AC guarding him in the garden when he dropped 40 his sophomore season. Like this is how rare it was that I actually remember the the times that he's done it. But this year he's doing it more and more. And it's just another, I think it's because he trusts his, it's weird to say, but his explosiveness, he trusts his first step more than I think ever before. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it, it's, I, I wonder if some of it also has to do with the fact that like, the Nuggets, they've just been running this Jokic offense for so long. And for however predictable that it is, and it is always really predictable still, you can still scout it to a certain extent. Right. I wonder if like, DHO is just the next element of, you know, throwing something at the defense that they maybe don't see every single time down there. Like they didn't see every single time last year. I honestly just think it's Yoke being more confident. I mean, think about two years ago, really at the start of last year, he couldn't beat anybody off the dribble. So even if he beat like faked him out, they would just catch up to him or the defense would rotate. But um, the Blazers were running double drag screens all court, the entire first quarter, really the entire game. But in the first quarter, it was almost every single possession. And, you know, double drags, usually it it involves one big and one wing player. Um, Sometimes it can be a guard as well. Sometimes it's your four or five. But you'll run those two guys up at the top. So in transition, Damian Lillard will have the ball in his hands and he'll get those two drag screens. This is a staple of Portland's offense, and they will bring those two guys to set that screen well outside the three-point line. And when you have a guy like Damian Lillard who's just so crafty in the pick and roll and can shoot from anywhere, it's a really big challenge for the bigs. And I thought they they kept putting Michael Porter in that zone, and I thought it was a really good sort of challenge for him like that it's not an easy action and there were there was one in particular one play where Porter sort of misread it early Damian Lillard saw an opportunity to reject the screen so what happened is Monte Morris jumps to sort of ice the screen or down the screen and Michael Porter didn't notice that so he jumps as if it was going to be a regular screen and that just opened up a wide open lane for Damian Lillard to the basket but there weren't too many of those like you know for the most part I think he did a good job of it but it was just a really nice I think challenge for him same goes for Zeke Naji, who Zeke Naji got a full NBA experience in this game we'll talk about him a little bit later but he got a lot of different sort of um you know <laughs> challenges in this one and I think the same thing is true for Michael Porter the guy whose defense stood out the most early on was Facundo Campazzo he checked into the game and almost immediately is getting steals and just frustrating Lillard uh, whoever it was that he had to guard, he, he was just like in in his grill. He, he, to me, I'm telling you, I'm I'm 100% in on Faku to the point where outside of Jamal Murray, I'm not sure anybody else I'm more confident in from that backcourt rotation. Like I'm, I'm not necessarily more confident in Faku, but I'm as confident in him to do a very a specific role as I am in any other player to do their role. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm probably not as there as you are on Faku, but, but I'm getting there. I, I got to agree with you, but that his defense from the start just jumped off the page. I remember there was a point earlier in that first quarter, right before he checked in, when Lillard was really just getting to the rim on whoever was guarding him, Jamal, Will Barton, Monte yeah. Moore. And then Faku came in, and I think he stripped Lillard, and he might have blocked the shot on, on a Lillard drive. And it was the first time any Nugget guard had – prevented Lillard from getting all the way to the rim right right yeah. and he, like on Faku one of his first defensive possessions of the game yeah uh, so I agree with you he was incredible uh he was incredible last night he and Monte Morris they took Damian Lillard out of the game for the most part it, it was really impressive 
Yeah, it, it really was impressive. Also impressive in this one that I didn't notice live, Will Barton made several just sort of hustle plays that led to points, type of plays that wouldn't show up in the stat sheet, but just like something he did that was that ended up resulting in somebody else scoring. And when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, oh, yeah. And people, I just think, forget that Will Barton, they don't like, and I understand it, that he takes sometimes more aggressive shots than they would like. Although I got to say, I think Will Barton's actually playing less aggressive than ever before over the last handful of games, like more just trying to be a cog in the machine. And I think it's to Denver's benefit, but um, he makes, he people forget that he's also a guy that just knows. I, I hate whenever people say he's a low IQ player. He's not, he, he understands, <laughs> he understands what he's supposed to be. Does he, he's more of a confident shooter maybe than people have comp fans have confidence in him, but he's not a dumb player by any means. He knows exactly how to like cut and where to space and how to do all those things. And, and when you, Put him out there with good players. It really is a, a positive. Yeah, the slander's funny. Um, he also so it, one of these things that was kind of interesting was the hustle play. Michael Porter has the ball on the wing. I believe it was Michael Porter, and he has the option to swing it to Will Barton or to shoot it. And instead, he shoots it, and it's fine. Like Michael Porter's a better shooter, so him taking a a pretty good shot versus Barton taking a great one to me that's fine. It's a coin flip, whatever. Um, but Will Barton goes from standing in the three expecting a shot to grabbing the offensive rebound on the opposite side of the court. And how many times have you seen it, Harrison, where if a guy's open in the corner and doesn't get it, they don't do it. That's like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to go hustle off of this play. Like I, I'd rather have had the shot or whatever. And I just, I was impressed with that specific play. Yeah. I mean, Will and Michael Porter Jr. I was impressed with them doing a lot of little, a lot of little things kind of in between yeah. plays like that with will it's it's funny because like he's obviously not at the level we've seen him in years past I, is he 100 percent healthy like i don't know there, there's something up that he has obviously prevented him from playing at the level he's played at in years past and i think what's great about it is he's kind of cognizant of that and that kind of goes to your point of I don't think he's like trying to do as many things as he would normally try to do right if he was fully the player that he knows he is I mean he's taken the fewest shots he's ever taken on a permanent basis he's dialed back his role his role significantly and um I think he's done that with the presence in mind that like I don't need to do as much too he even had a reverse dunk yesterday, but um, yeah. but still, the point remains, he's not as athletic as he used to be. It is worth noting he was not on the injury report today. So right. let, he came out at the end of the game last, last night, looked like an ankle tweak or something, but looks like he'll be good to go. Another note I have in here, Rodney Hood has been a Nuggets killer, you know, in the past, and he was had a really quiet game. And Jamal Murray actually matched up with him a few times and did a really good job on him where you would, you watch it and you go, how did Rodney Hood swing a playoff series? Like, how did this guy do it? Now, I know Carmelo has kind of replaced him. Like, Carmelo is just a better version of Rodney Hood in terms of one-on-one wing scoring. But And and obviously, we'll talk about Carmelo here soon. But um, just watching it, like, Murray made – he pulled the chair so hard that Rodney Hood actually fell down, fell over in this game. And I <laughs> – there were several plays like that where I'm like, man, I am not at all afraid of Rodney Hood. How did this happen? Well, I saw Rodney Hood hit one shot, and then our guy Matt Moore tweets like Rodney Hood Nuggets killer. Oh God, of course he did. <laughs> well, he was. To be fair, he is like he or he was. He was a right. Nuggets killer. 
But like Rodney Hood was one of five with two turnovers yesterday. Yeah, he was so bad. That's what I mean. I watched it and on replay, it was like, man, how did this guy swing a series against Denver? But those are the breaks. Um, let's take a break. On the other side, Carmelo Anthony gets going. Zeke Naji gets sort of a, a welcome to the NBA moment. But I thought he handled himself well. We'll talk about that on the other side. Yeah, guys, if you're not hooked up with Hassel Cattle Company, you're definitely missing out. Uh, they've got the best damn Wagyu beef around. The best damn Wagyu beef in the entire USA. They ship to anywhere in the country. Uh, they call their beef the blue-collar Wagyu uh, because it's the best damn Wagyu that every man or woman can afford. They've got everything at Hassel Cattle Company. They've got Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon, Wagyu franks, two jerky flavors, Whatever type of Wagyu beef you're craving, Hassle Cattle Company can hook you up. Uh, so what you have to do to get in with Hassle Cattle Company, go to their website, HassleCattleCompany.com, H-A-S-S-E-L-L CattleCompany.com, and use promo code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. That's code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. Also, any orders over 200 dollars you will receive free shipping. Uh, so check them out today. Uh, promise from from somebody who's taken down a lot of hassle cattle company over the last month or so, uh, <laughs> you guys will not be disappointed with them. Uh, also, it's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app is giving all new players a chance to cash $100. New customers can bet $1 on any team that a three pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right. All it takes is one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer. Well, it is a no-brainer. Um, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. It's really that simple. That's promo code DNVR for new customers to get a shot at 100-to-1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot. This week only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Remember, must be 21 years or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. So back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. So I just saw it came across the wire like maybe an hour ago, but Devin Booker is going to replace Anthony Davis in the All-Star game. How much do you feel like, I, don't, I think that's a fine choice, but how much do you feel like LeBron had influence? LeBron, <laughs> of course, yesterday tweeted out the uh, like oh, disrespected player or whatever. You think LeBron? Yeah. Get, you get, they got the LeBron bump, the commissioner. Um, maybe a little. I'm kind of upset it didn't go to Mike Conley. If I'm being honest, I, I kind of wanted to see Mike Conley. I'm very jealous of the Jazz that they have Mike Conley. I'm not going to lie. I'm also very jealous that people are starting to compare the Jazz to the 2014 Spurs, my all-time team that I want the Nuggets to be compared to. Um, you, you so, know, I, thought, I thought of you when I saw that comparison. Uh, oh, that was, that was painful. Very sad, very sad. But also true, like, hat tip to the Jazz. They're doing a great job, uh, having a great season. So back, back into this notebook here, Zeke Naji, I thought, got another was another guy that got an A-plus sort of education yesterday. And he's been getting them, like obviously thrown onto LeBron and some of his first ones. And LeBron is such a challenge in his own right. And I think a bigger challenge than Carmelo overall, because you got to do everything. But, you know, if it was funny back in the day, people would always be like players would always be asked, like, who's harder to guard LeBron or Kobe? 
and they'd always be like Kobe for sure. And then people would be like, well, you know, LeBron's the one that dropped the 30, 20, and 10 on you. And so they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. Um, I think that I think what I'm trying to say is when you get a one-on-one score, you feel more helpless. Even if the like all-around player is beating you, you feel more helpless when it's a guy that can just jab step and pull up on you and, and get in and, and score over and over. And that's more or less what happened to Zeke Nachi yesterday. I thought he did a great job of having good fundamental defense. He didn't ever really get burned you know, like for all the way to the rim or anything like that. He just got burned just enough space for Carmelo to get his shot off. And uh, I, I think it was good for him to have to go against a guy like that. I think it was great. And I actually thought his defense was really good. Like yeah. really, really good. And if you look at Carmelo's final stat line, 24 points, nine of 17 from the field, he was a minus six. So like Carmelo hit his shots. Uh, he had a good night. But if you're the Nuggets defense and if you're Zeke Naji. I feel like you got to live with him just working and working and working to get those 18, 19, 20 foot jumpers. Like if that's how Portland's going to try to beat you, I think if you're Denver, you, you live with it and, and head back down the other court and play offense. Like I I think fine job and yeah, Carmel's going to hit those shots. But I mean, at the end of the day, if, if that's how the Blazers are going to run their offense, I think you got to live with it. And I think that's actually that last part is really it because Mello had a three off of a Dame drive and kick. I think the rest of his buckets were those ISO buckets. And it's funny, nine of 17 is pretty good efficiency. But I remember, I think he was eight of 10 or something at one point. And if you would have asked me what I, you just brought that up, I didn't even look at it. I would have said, oh, I think he was like eight of 14 or eight of 13. The fact that he was actually nine of 17 after being that on fire, that that's exactly right, Harrison, that you know, sometimes guys will beat you that way and you just tip your hat to them. But most of the time, nine times out of 10, they're going to finish. If you just play solid defense, they're going to finish nine of 17 at best, maybe five of 17 at worst. And you're going to win within that entire range. But Zeke, I just thought did a good job of staying down. He actually, I should say he got beat one time badly where he jumped and Carmelo yeah. drew a foul. So there, that one I would count, but the rest of them were just, you know, Carmelo gained a half step on him and got and made a really tough shot off of really beautiful footwork. I miss watching Carmelo, you know, as much as it's inefficient and we talk about basketball through the lens of inefficiency so much these days, I still like have a deep appreciation for the tech, how technically sound Carmelo is with his movements, man. Well, I I think um, you should be glad you caught him on that night because I don't think that's what Carmelo has been doing every (laughs) under 40% from the field on the year. So um, I I guess that was a good night to, uh, to reminisce a little. But it wasn't just the on-ball defense for Zeke. It was also the help side defense that he just – I like Zeke Nagy is an A-plus help side guy. The number one help side guy on the Denver Nuggets roster is Facundo Campazzo. Now, physically, he's not good enough to be like – to make as big of an impact. But he just – he's almost never beat because he doesn't see what's happening. He's beat sometimes because he's too small or whatever. But or he, he just tries to make like a ridiculous gamble that doesn't work. Out. <laughs> but he doesn't even even then his gambles like are he he's the best at gambling for a play and recovering because he just was going like a hundred miles per hour. But um, you know, then you get to guys like Paul Millsap, um, and, and not too far down that list is Zeke Naji. He's so locked in and focused, and he's one of the things that's important about help side, and this is a thing Michael Porter could learn, I think, from Zeke is you know, being in the right spot and thinking ahead, that's more than half the battle. But the other half is like physically being ready for whatever's coming next. So not just knowing what's coming next, but being in position to sprint like, hey, in a second here, I'm going to have to sprint out to the corner or in a second here, I'm going to have to fully commit to the other side. 
see, especially if you go back and slow the game down and, and watch it, he's always like crouched and you can tell he knows like as soon as he turns mm -hmm. his corner, I'm going to have to run out at the three-point line. And he's like ready for it physically because he's not that quick. Like he's more of a slow twitch muscle kind of guy, but he's he's just so locked in that it's a straight line for every every movement is a straight line because he knows he's anticipating and he's ready for it. He, he's been so impressive. And the fact that Michael Malone already has this level of trust in him as a rookie, and he wouldn't have this trust if he wasn't just this elite, elite off-ball defender like you've been talking about. Right. And I asked Malone about just his general thoughts on Zeke as a defender pregame. And one thing he highlighted was just how good of a communicator he is. Like he, yeah. he is also an elite, elite communicator. And right. Said not good, but great communicator. Yeah. Yep. Not good, but great communicator. And you can see that. Like oh. you, you can see that when he's in help side and tagging guys and, and rotating. He's always talking. Um, but what a, what a draft pick. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's looking like it. I don't yeah. think Zeke is going to be a star, um, but he's going to be a damn good role player, uh, a damn good off the bench big or, or a damn good big who can start you know in the right situations for a long long time so he's at 42 percent from the three-point line now he started off awfully hot i think he was like eight for 15 or something so obviously that's dropped a little bit what do you think his three career three-point actually i won't say career what do you think his average three-point percentage is over his next three seasons this season and two more i think he's gonna be like a 39 to 40 percent shooter yeah i really do um 39 to 40%, I would say. I think 95% of his three-point attempts are going to be like green light threes, meaning he he's good shots. I don't think he's going to take – maybe one out of every 20 shots he takes, you're going to be like, ooh, probably shouldn't have taken that one or misread the court. But you're, he's not a guy that's ever going to step out of his lane, and I think that alone elevates you to have a really good percentage. And then the fact that he is just so – he seems so – confident to step in and take them and and I, I i happen to agree with you i think he's a 40 percent three-point shooter on lower volume um here's my next question for you though where does zeke fit in because one of the things that's interesting to me is obviously michael porter is a big piece and we talk about is he have power forward or small forward i think zeke naji is a little bit of a tweener as well and maybe in a way that fits with michael porter how do you feel like the fit between him michael porter and Jokic projects to be well, it's funny because when Jeremy Grant was here, um, we always thought he would be a great fit. And, you know, he, he was a good fit with Michael Porter at like the three, four, because Jeremy Grant could take on that tougher yeah. scoring wing and let Michael Porter guard, you know, the less of that offensive option on the other team. Right. Like, I still feel like I don't really know what Zeke is going to be as like, a potential lockdown on ball guy. Um, but if you talk about him as like a team defender and talk about him as a team defender and how he could fit next to Porter in that scenario and next to Jokic in the same way that Paul Millsap has, you know, helped cover up so many things on the backside of Nuggets defense forever next to Jokic. Uh -huh. I really like that fit. So from a team defensive standpoint, I love the Zeke Naji fit alongside those two. I'm still waiting to see, you know, if he can be like Jeremy Grant type and just stick to a guy for a whole game. I don't think right. we haven't obviously seen enough to know that yet. So what's interesting about Zeke is 
so here's here's what I think is great about him. I think his on-ball defense is going to project to be elite, and I think that his ability to read and rotate and not make mistakes is going to be elite. Rebounding, huge question mark for me. I don't I I don't know. Right now, he looks like he needs to improve in that area. But here's a crazy stat for you, Harrison. He's played 172 minutes. That's about the same as Isaiah Hartenstein, a little bit less than Hartenstein, more than Bull, Howard, and Chanchar, but you know, other than those guys, less than everybody else. But 172 minutes is not nothing. How many block shots do you think he has this season? Um, zero. He has one. Okay. He has one, which is the second fewest. Only Marcus Howard is without a block. Everybody else has more than has two or more, which is kind of wild. And how many steals would you guess he has? <laughs> Oh man. Um two. He has two, exactly, which is the same as Bull Bull and Marcus Howard for last on the team. And so I bring that up is just to say that this is all like puzzle piece building. Jokic is very good at getting steals. He's very bad at like rim protection. He's very good at rebounding. Like there's certain things he does and does not do. Michael Porter, I think, is very bad at containing his man, not that great at rotating. But what he is great at is blocking shots, being very athletic, being very long, disrupting, getting hands in the passing lane. So I wonder, and rebounding. So I wonder if you get, you know, that you always look at this in trios when you look at that front quarter. All right, the combo of those three, you got rebounding checked off by two of the three. Like Najee, I think right. he can be solid, but Porter and Jokic can be elite. Um, steals, I think you get the length and athleticism with Porter for steals, and then you get Jokic with the quick hands. Okay, that's two out of the three. Then great positional defense. Jokic and Najee, they both do that. Michael Porter, not so much, but that you get two out of the three. It just it seems like everything is two out of the three guys you can get something from. And that's why I'm I'm intrigued by their fit. I think Najee's gonna probably always project low in defensive metrics, but I think he might actually end up being a guy that is sneaky valuable on that end, just because he doesn't rack up stats, but he he's a piece you can rely on. So. Yeah, I know. I agree. Um, I love him. Yeah, big, big, all in on Zeke. So Michael Porter, um, he, I have a note in here, just a little thing. He has getting a habit of sticking his leg out on shots. Um, he got the call. He drew a three-point foul, three-point shooting foul, but he's done this a few times now where he sticks that leg out, to not in front, but almost to the side, and it's worked for him so far, but sooner or later somebody's going to catch on. And I don't like it because I don't like him trying to get contact on shooting fouls. He's, I, It's dangerous. Like He's, he's the type of guy that's – too tall and skinny for him to be like sticking his legs into danger. So I'd rather he's such a good shooter too, that nobody's going to block his shot. Just go into your shooting motion, like just elevate over and try to knock him down. Cause I, I, I really do think he's a 40 plus percent three point shooter on volume and he hasn't been that lately. So I'd like to see him get back to it. Um, I talked about, we talked about Compazzo and what he did to Damian Lillard, who he really terrorized was Anthony Simons. Simons was, <laughs> Simons is like useless in this game. And and part of this isn't his fault. Like, I don't think he's a point guard. He's a combo guard that's just too small. And they, they're playing him that way. But first play that Simons checks in, Compazzo rips him in, at half court. Do you remember this play? Oh, yeah. And it's one of those plays where it's like when you get ripped in the NBA, just bringing the ball up, that's like really bad. Yeah. But oh, totally, totally, totally. And look, um, this is what makes Faku so awesome is like he'll – and it's not even just the fact that he got the steal – but he'll like pressure a guy at uh, like the opposite basket, like after after a made bucket or after a timeout, and maybe he doesn't get the steal, but he'll just piss off a guy. He'll yeah. just oh, totally. Make somebody really frustrated, and that just kind of sticks with the game, and it just kind of changes the whole whole tone of the game. But 
yeah, he he took Simons totally out of this game. He he, he kind of had Simons a little shook. Don't and you Simons remember? Was scared to bring the ball up the floor. Oh, totally time. scared to. And don't and it disrupts your offense. But don't you remember Luca's comment on Faka when he was asked about him and he's like, "Oh, I hate playing against him because he's such a pest." And that's the best way to describe him. Like, I'm sure everybody hates playing against Faku. Like, just hates it. And I and that's a great that's a great. If you hate to play against somebody, it means they're probably doing their job. Uh, Carmelo was rolling, and one of the things I didn't notice as much when I when we were watching it live as I did on re- replay was that he was playing the center position. You know, they obviously don't have a backup center right now with all the injury. Harry Giles is that guy usually, but he's out. Zach Collins and Nurkic usually one of those guys is that guy, but but they're out. So they had Carmelo at center. Basically, he wasn't a center. He just was. They just were playing without a center. But um, the Nuggets were playing with Hartenstein, and so Melo really gets going. And some of this is he's going against Michael Porter. Okay, that's a mismatch. Zeke Naji, okay, that's a mismatch. And Isaiah Hartenstein, okay, that's a mismatch. And it just was, it's interesting because we always talk about strength versus strength. Like Denver's going to play big. We're not going to, they're not going to go roll. They couldn't go down. Maybe last night Malone would have played Millsap at, at center or something like that, but they could, they had no choice. And as much as Hartenstein was a positive in this game, Mello was a negative. That first stint at least, you know, really tough. Hartenstein needs minutes and he needs opportunity. And I just felt like this was a little bit of a tough one because who is he going to guard out there? You know, they, they, they were playing without a, without a true center. Yeah. Um, I'm with you though. Like I'm glad that he's getting a look because yeah. Denver just has to see what he's got. And I'm not too high on Hartenstein. Uh, I, I think Nuggets should probably look for another center for the playoff run. Like if we're being honest, but I'm glad that he's at least getting a look. I actually don't mind him as much as everybody. I here's I think his game is really ugly, man. And I this is he's like the opposite of Carmelo, where Carmelo's game could be so pretty, and then you look at it and you're like, oh, he was a minus ten, and he shot forty percent and whatever. But it looks so gorgeous. It looked like like he was. Time looks so out of control at almost everything he does. But it but he makes an impact. He screens really well. He had a block shot in this one. Um, so I, I think he needs more time. I, I agree with you that I don't think he has like that high of an upside. Um, but I do wonder if he's a guy that can play 15 minutes a game and, and Denver, the more he plays 15 minutes, like two, seven minute stretches, the more it's like, yeah, we get a consistent, you know, exactly what you get out of him. It's pretty solid and it allows it, it does, you just almost at a, at a certain point, you don't notice him cause he's setting screens, rebounding, doing that stuff, but it's just making your backup guards look really good and your backup players. So I'm, I hope he gets more minutes here going forward. Yeah, he, he he just has the look of a guy who hasn't played a ton of minutes. He just has the look of a guy who hasn't like played a lot in the NBA. I remember he had this uh, dribble handoff. I forget with who, but he ended up handing off the ball like down at his ankles, <laughs> and, and like up here. And it was like, okay, yeah, this guy just hasn't like he he hasn't been through this action a ton of times. This is the hard. This is the hard thing for analyzing a player. Is I don't think he makes more mistakes than the average guy, but his mistakes look ten times worse than everyone else's, just aesthetically. And so you're like, man, this guy sucks. But um, I hopefully look. I think the players are. Gonna, there's going to be a lot of players out for the next couple weeks, um, or or for the next yeah, like week and a half till the All Star break or whatever. So I think he's got another like five six game window here to to prove himself and. Hopefully he makes the most of it. Uh, I mentioned in here, Jokic's suction cup hands. It's the most underrated aspect of it. Like when you ask people what makes Jokic good, they're like, well, it's his passing, you know, underrated rebounder, really good steals, this or that. One thing only Greg Popovich has ever pointed out, by the way. I don't know if you remember Greg Popovich in the presser talking about this, and it's so true. Jokic is really good at just grabbing wild passes, but he's also really good at grabbing wild rebounds. 
because his hands are just like it's like he has glue on his hands that this once the ball hits him he catches it yeah i don't know how to explain it um <laughs> it's it's one of his great gifts it, it just what, really where do you, where do great hands rank on his like things that make him so good because i think his like great passing and basketball iq are like number one one two and then like his great shooting his floater touch like his suction cup hands are kind of in that tier for me i agree and look his hands it it definitely like carries over into his touch being so soft like just being able to corral rebounds and come up with steals and whatnot like that is a carryover to to his touch on the offensive end too Malone used it. This is the last note I kind of have in this first half, but Malone used his challenge in the second quarter and he used it on a Jamal Murray foul for a three pointer. And the broadcast couldn't believe it that they would use a challenge in the second quarter. I actually love the challenge and I'll tell you why. Here's my rule of thumb for challenges you, it is most valuable to use late in games because that could swing a possession or whatever. And it's, it's just huge right there. But so seldom is there a controversial call in the final like two, three minutes of a game that you save it for then and then you don't need it, it can go to waste. That being said, I think you use your challenge whenever you can when it takes points off of the board. And that was three points that they that he saved. Automatic to me that used that challenge. Because whether it's, okay, you don't have it for later in the game, I understand it, but you saved three points at a at, at any point. So I'm, I I approve of that. And, and it was Jamal Murray. Not that Jamal Murray's ever in foul trouble, but – you know, it has a little extra bonus of keeping him away from one extra foul. I have no stats on this, but I feel like Malone's been pretty hot on challenges recently. I, I feel <laughs> like he's gotten a lot overturned as of late. I really he's do. Feeling, he's feeling it, huh? He's feeling it. And um, the second that that foul was whistled, Jamal was telling him to to review. He, he was like super adamant that he didn't touch him and, and it wasn't right. a foul and he was right. And I, I think Malone did look, if I remember – he did look at his bench because the Nuggets right. staff is watching it on a laptop, seeing if they should challenge. And then he got the confirmation that he did. But yeah, it was a great challenge. I think that there's got to be like a math like equation for this. And it's got to be something like if you can save 1.5 points, then yeah. it's worth it. And you know, sending a shooter to the foul line, okay, that's probably like 2.6 points. And then they had to take the ball out. So then you get like 1.1 points. Okay. So like you do the math there, 1.5. Perfect. Okay. Use your challenge. You saved it. Um, uh, sorry, dog's going crazy. Dog agrees. Uh, dog, dog definitely agrees. Um, he, Michael Porter Jr. makes at least one play per game defensively that is 100% a credit of his athleticism and length. And a couple of games ago, it was the block shot on Trey Young where it looked like he had no chance. And this one, he had a, a contest. He did a great job of tagging the roller and then closing out on, I think it was Covington. And he blocked Covington's three-pointer. Like You could tell Covington did not think he was going to be able to close the gap, so he just shoots it casually and he blocks it. And this is why I think his defensive like learning curve can be really steep assuming he can like really learn on that end. But once the game become the thinking part of the game becomes second nature, I, I think he's going to be a really, not just like an average defender. I think he can be a very impactful one. Right. Be, because of his length, if he's just in the right spot, he can make stuff happen with the yeah. flags and block shots. But for him, it's just about being in that right spot to be able to use his length in the first place. Yeah. And here's my last question from the notebook, Harrison, and then we'll take a break and get to some of the other quick hitters. But 
how last year in the playoffs, or maybe it was actually coming into this season, Jamal Murray was asked about scoring or whatever. And he said, you know, I've learned that as a point guard, I have to sort of manage the game early on and then look for my scoring late. I can't, I'm butchering the, you know, that's not the quote, but it was something to that extent. And we saw this in the bubble where he had like good games, but then would go nuclear late in games. And then of course, this has been the trend lately. How much do you think that is? There's a method to that madness. It's not just whether or not he's on fire and he just catches fire, but it's actually a little bit more deliberate because he turns the scoring dial up a lot. I think there's a lot to it. And I think how the game went last night plays into that exactly because Jamali talked about this. Um, he clearly just didn't have it in the first half and Yoke clearly did. And so that's kind of how the Nuggets oriented their offense around Nikola Jokic. And then, you know, when, if it was Portland's defense playing Yoke a little differently or just kind of some of the looks they were getting, Jamal kind of took over in that fourth quarter once he got one shot to go down. So I think that's spot on. I think it's deliberate. Um, I think Jamal looks at himself as a point guard and in his mind, a point guard's job or one of their jobs is to get everybody going. And, And I think he takes that to heart. I really do. I still think giving him a point card so that he can be in that mind frame a little bit more often is probably a good thing. But um, I do think there's also, I think it's mostly just that he's a hot or cold player and consistency is still a hard part, a hard thing for him. I think it's like 80% that, but I do think there's a little bit of this, like he knows when it's winning time and he knows that his best asset is his scoring. So he kind of gets it going, but we, everything else we talked about yesterday on the post game show, just with the two man game. I mean, this was a game, this was a, a near perfect two man game between Jokic and Murray. Like, yeah, the, the five minutes of basketball to close this out, the possessions between those two were, were honestly, they were they, they were like a, a basketball equation. You know, like everything that, that Portland did, they had a response for just to get themselves like wide open looks. And it was, it was, they were so perfectly in sync. It really was like one brain out there and it was fun to watch. Um, let's take our last break here. On the other side, we're going to talk about Greg Whittington. We have an update on the actual person, Greg Whittington. And then we're going to just look at the schedule here. The schedule drop part two, the schedule NBA schedule part two dropped. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, guys, we've had several DNVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years and made them their permanent family dentist. And look, Green Mountain Dental Group, they're awesome people over there. They care about you as a customer. They're great at what they do. They're sports fans, just like us. And when you go to Green Mountain Dental Group, when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, you can get a free Sonicare toothbrush. Sonicare is a top-of-the-line electric toothbrush. It's going to last you a really long time. And you can get one for free from Green Mountain Dental Group. They are located just 15 minutes from downtown Denver. All you got to do is schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam with them today. Also, guys, buying a house can be a really complicated process. It can be time-consuming. It can just be a headache uh, to deal with. But when you use somebody like Chevalier Mortgage, it it makes that process so much easier. Uh, So hit up Mike or Virginia Chevalier. You can call Virginia directly, 303-257-6578. You can call Mike directly, 970-412-2472. You can visit them at dnvrmortgage.com. They've been in the business forever. They know what they're doing. They know how to make uh, a home buying process super easy for you. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com. Enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation for them to discuss all of your options at dnvrmortgage.com. 
Uh, Michael Chevalier, NML, NMLS number 1931006, Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. Hit them up today. Final segment here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. And first we have Greg Whittington. He exists, I am told, and he is upgraded. It's so funny to say upgraded. He's upgraded to doubtful. <laughs> This is so, like yeah. this is like being upgraded to like don't buy like we're <laughs> don't buy like sweet but he's doubtful I mean that's something that tells me that he's around the corner yeah so he had that uh, arthroscopy on his knee like five weeks ago and he was supposed to be reevaluated in four to six weeks so I guess that reevaluation went well. Uh, he, he's on the right track. And the only thing I'll say about Greg Whittington, I have no expectations for him. Um, but I bet if he was healthy, he'd be playing right now. For you sure. Know? Yeah. And the other thing I'll say is that I was talking with Monte Morris uh, during the preseason. And I asked him, Monte, who's one guy that we're not talking about? Who, who's one guy that's been standing out during training camp that, you know, isn't getting any. Mm. And he said, Greg Whittington. He said Greg Whittington. So, this is before he got hurt. Yes, this is right uh, after training camp. Did he meant say why? Well, he just kind of mentioned like the things that we know about Greg. He's long. He, yeah. He's six eight with a long wingspan. Um, he can play like that Tory Craig, Jeremy Grant role. Uh, he's got a capable shot. He can just do a little bit of everything, and he's a good defender. Monte said so. I mean, that's a scouting report on him. Uh, we'll see what he looks like if he gets on the court. But yeah, I, I can't wait for Greg Whittington. I mean, I do hope that he's bad. Like being doubtful, you know how the you know how the Nuggets do this, and most NBA teams do this. All right, he's doubtful tomorrow. He'll be questionable. Probably won't play, <laughs> and then Saturday he'll be like probable or something, or just completely off. So he's probably uh, this is just me spec pure speculation. He's probably a game or two away, but I hope he gets back before the All Star break because. I don't like it after the, the NBA is always broken into pre all-star break and post all-star break and post all-star break. You start ramping up. Like you stop giving minutes to guys unless you absolutely have to. And there'll probably be moments when you have to play guys here or there. But I feel like right now there's a great opportunity for him to get out there for 10 minutes and, and just see what he's got and us to get to kind of know him and Malone to get, get to kind of see what he's got. And I feel like it's useful. So hopefully that happens here coming up. And then lastly, the NBA schedule, uh, the second half of the schedule dropped. We've got all of the games here. Just off the top, Harrison, what sticks out to you most when you looked at the schedule today? What sticks out most is the hardest five-game set I might have ever seen in any NBA schedule ever. Um, May 1st, the Nuggets play at the Clippers. May 3rd, they play at the Lakers. May 5th, they have the Knicks at home. May yeah. 7th, they play the Jazz on the road. May 8th, they play the Nets at home. Uh, so right there – you're playing who is probably the four best teams in the league in five games. And then you've got a Knicks squad mixed in who's probably going to be in the playoff mix still by then. And desperate. Like that's far enough away that even if they're on the outside looking in, their season will still be alive. But chances are they are going to be in the mix, as you mentioned, and every game's going to matter. So, and a young Knicks team that desperately wants to make a statement. So, yeah, yeah that's going to be tough. And that's what stuck out to me. And then after that, Denver's last four games of the season are all on the road at Charlotte, at Minnesota, at Detroit, at Portland. So you go uh, 
from that murder murderer's row five game set into a four game road trip to end the year at Portland to finish up. I'm looking at the seven of the last nine games being on the road is really brutal. <laughs> like that, that really is a tough schedule, man. They got a tough draw and it stinks too, because, you know, I don't know what the world looks like in May, but I suspect there's a chance that there's going to be fans back in the stadium. So it would suck if Denver uses up. I mean, they have a lot of home games in March and April, a lot of them. It would suck to use up all those and then go on the road for the last month when fans are back in the in the arenas. That, that might be kind of tough. What stood out to me was the Nuggets have six nationally televised games, and all six of them are on the road. Not a single home game in there, one of which at Golden State is coming on the second night of a back-to-back with travel in between. That's always you know great. And then you're talking about at Clippers, at Warriors, at Warriors, at Clippers, at Lakers, at Utah. They will be underdogs heading into every single one of those games. And those are, that's, that's the, like the, the introduction you get. So if you were hoping like we all are that Jokic is going to have, you know, his MVP, you know, a, a chance you look mm. at that and you just go like, Oh man, he's going to have to showcase it. Like the tough, the games that everyone's going to pay attention to are all going to be very, very difficult games. Um, so, you know, <laughs> a little bit of an uphill battle there, but um, you know, it, it is, it is interesting. Everybody that got the schedule today hated it because you look at it and it's just like one, there's a lot of good teams this year. Like, the, you know, the 15th best team in the league, what well, might be the Nuggets at the moment, but the 15th best team in the league is good. And so every time you look at it, you go like, ooh, that's a tough stretch. That's a tough stretch. But it's just because there's not that many bad teams just yet. Um, lastly, to your point, the last four games are on the road, but it's at Charlotte, probably in the playoff hunt. So they probably won't be tanking. At Minnesota, almost certainly going to be tanking. At Detroit, almost certainly going to be the tanking. And then at Portland, which will be – you know, could very well can end up being for a, a seed. Like that game might mean a lot. So you get two out of the last four games are at least games that the road games, but they should be against teams that are incentivized to lose. And in years past, that just hasn't happened. Denver has played all of the tanking teams early and then not benefited from that. Right. So this year they benefit a little bit. Right. Usually it's like a backloaded Northwest division. Yeah. Stretch. It always is Utah, Portland, Oklahoma city, like, you, like that's Denver's last four games usually, but uh, yeah, man, it should be interesting. I hope the Portland game is just not for um, the six and seven seed. Yeah, that would be, oh man. I, I, I did find it interesting that they play the, the 76ers on a Tuesday and it's not on national television. Just uh, that one, you think of bead Jokic would be a fun storyline, um, but they, that one didn't get the go. And then the Utah, just the one Utah game, none of the other Portland games, um, all of those to me would have been made for great, uh, you know, great national televised games and they didn't get them. So a little bit of a bummer, but what can you do? The Nuggets haven't necessarily been like lighting the world on fire in the first half of the schedule. And I'm sure that factored into it a little bit. So yeah. there you go. Um, well, that does it for today, guys. Don't forget tomorrow we're going to be back in the pregame lounge previewing the Nuggets and the Wizards. And then, of course, as always, we'll be in the post-game lounge as well. You can follow those up on the YouTube page or listen to them as podcasts, wherever you like. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time. Yeah, before we get out of here, guys, Strava Craft Coffee, the CBD-infused coffee that I drink every morning to start my day. You guys can get a subscription to Strava Craft Coffee and get your coffee delivered every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks for 20% off with the code DNVR20. Sign up right now, StravaCraftCoffee.com. 
Uh, it's an awesome alternative to just regular everyday coffee. It's packed with CBD, which can help cure long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, a slew, a slew of other ailments that might be hurting you now. So check them out today. Get 20% off a Strava Craft Coffee subscription with the code DNVR20.